today on Ag News Daily. In short, our farming operation is uh, comprised of my father, my mother, and myself. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here coming to you on a sunny day from downtown Chicago, even if it's empty, talking to co-host Delaney Howell. Delaney, what's the story over in Iowa? Hmm, what is the story? Well, there's no snow today. That's a good update, but uh, still colder, chillier temperatures. But things are turning green, so I guess it's a trade-off. Yes, things are turning green. Spring is here, even if we've got to wait a couple of days for soil temps to warm up a little bit to really get those planters rocking and rolling. However, I just learned that Chicago might get six inches of snow tonight oh. and tomorrow. I'm not thrilled about that, but the flip side is there's not many planters rolling in Chicago. Yeah, and you're working from home a lot of days, so you don't have to hopefully trudge through that snow. But I have a dog now, Delaney, and he's mm, got to go for true. a walk, and he loves rolling in the snow. <laughs> yes, I understand how that goes. Oh, golly gosh. I tell you what, it is a busy day for news, but Delaney, can I steal the spotlight for just a minute here at the top to do a little self-promotion? Let's hear it. All right, folks, I am really excited. As our listeners know, I've been working with Zaner Financial Services over here in Chicago since last August. Um Love it. Great people. A lot of our listeners know Ted Seifert and Dan Hussey. They've both been on the podcast, uh, well, several times. We have a really cool program that we really just announced last week with a webinar with uh, Ted Seifert and myself and Nick Cholas from Indigo. And Indigo, we've interviewed a lot on the podcast. They are a huge company that is making waves in agriculture. And I am excited that Zaner can now work with growers to manage your cash sales. We've got a new program. It's called the Managed Pricing Program, where basically you call me and you say, hey, I want to diversify my marketing risk. I want to take some bushels out of my control so I don't get greedy or fearful. And I want to turn them over to you at Zaner, people who watch the market every day, and let you sell those bushels for me. We're going to make physical sales. And here's the cool part, especially in a year like this one, where we've got a lot of... uh of grain buyers yeah, in dire straits. All these sales are guaranteed through Indigo. So whatever sales we book for you, those are locked in no matter what happens with your end buyer. Indigo's got an insurance company that's got them back. So it's really cool. Uh, Delaney, you were on our webinar mm -hmm. last week kind of announcing it. D did it make sense to you? Yeah, it did. And I am hopeful that we can have either Ted or one of the Indigo guys on to explain it. But yeah, it makes sense. I like that you're essentially kind of grouping your bushels in with somebody else's and, you know, they're still your bushels. You still go through your local elevator. It's still the basis. You set that yourself, but it's, I think makes sense for guys like perhaps, mm, I shouldn't say this because he might listen, but like guys like my dad who don't like to spend a lot of time focusing on the markets, they're more concerned about the production aspect. So I think it makes sense for people that are, honestly, just more worried about the hands-on stuff than having to watch the markets every day. Exactly. At the end of the day, the American farmer is better at growing crops than anybody else in the world. But historically, the American farmer, not maybe a rock star at marketing those crops. And at the end of the day, we don't get paid growing a crop. We get paid selling a crop. And the folks at Zaner, Ted, Dan, me, uh, you know, Joe Nacruto, our whole team here, we literally watch the markets all day, every day. 
So uh, listen, if it's something you want to talk about, listeners, if you've got some bushels you want to roll into this program, you want to take them off your plate, uh, give me a call. I'm kind of spearheading this deal. I'm really excited. I don't put my name behind just anything. Uh, so this is something I'm, I'm kind of personally passionate about. Uh, reach me here at the office. You can give me a call at 312-277-0112. Say you want to talk managed pricing. I'll work you through the details. It's pretty cool. There is no free lunch, so there's a fee, but I've got a feeling that uh, we're going to be able to really move the needle on grain sales for you. So give me a holler, 312-277-0112. Delaney, that's my news. Do we have any other news in agriculture? We certainly do, Mike. We've got lots of news to talk about today in the world of agriculture. And this is breaking news as we are recording this podcast on Thursday afternoon, about 3 p.m. Central Time. The Small Business Administration has officially run out of money for the Paycheck Protection Program. And so we know that there is a new request that the White House has put forth requesting an additional $250 billion to be added to that fund, but we don't know for sure if and when that will get replenished. So you should be kicking yourself if you wanted to sign up for that program and you haven't because now you may not get it. Yeah. Uh, put pressure on your Congress people. I mean, at the end of the day, that's where more funding has to come from for this program. Really, the funds they put in there were a drop in the bucket, given the fact that we've got just about 20 million people unemployed and small businesses suffering across the country. Delaney, I was going to report that exact same story as my first piece of news, <laughs> but I've got something else. And again, we're still talking coronavirus, blah, blah, blah. But Delaney, raise your hand if you're tired of quarantine. <laughs> You can't see me, but I have both hands raised. Oh my gosh, mine are waving in the air as if I don't <laughs> care right now. And we've got some progress. We've got states taking different measures about this uh, quarantine thing. Wisconsin announced earlier today that they are extending their shelter in place until May 26. However, seven Midwestern states, which I know is where we've got a, uh, a lot of our listeners in, Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, Indiana, and Kentucky have all decided they're going to work together on restarting the economies in those states. Um, at the end of the day, they say, if this thing is going to be successful, we've got to work together. We're seeing a similar development over on the West Coast. Uh, a five, or no, excuse me, three governors have come together on the West Coast, uh, California, Oregon, and Washington, and seven states on the East Coast have come together, and they're kind of forming these coalitions to bring everything back uh, slowly and manage this coronavirus so we don't end up you know, having a second wave of this horrible thing uh, shut down the economy once again. Yeah, you know, I also saw some news related to this just yesterday, kind of two pieces that tie in nicely to this, one of which is there are a lot of tech companies that are throwing a lot of dollars behind creating some sort of technology that could track and allow those people that are not sick to go out of the house, as well as an app I saw, I can't remember the company that's spearheading this project, that would basically track you to make sure you're adhering to social distancing, which would still allow you the ability to leave your homes as long as you are practicing those recommendations set forth by the CDC. So I don't know how likely or how early that type of thing could be put together. But the other big piece of news that I saw reported 
And I don't know if this is fact-checked by President Trump, but he shared in a press conference yesterday that the virus is nearing its peak, and he expects a lot of states to open up before May 1st. So he obviously didn't fact-check it there since you just mentioned, uh, what was it, Wisconsin that's staying closed till middle of May? Yeah, that's the the one I just heard on the way uh, the way into the office today. So, I'm... yeah. So I don't know that May first is our magical reopening period, but it there are a lot of states. It sounds like Mike that are itching to reopen their economies. Oh, states, entrepreneurs, workers, everybody. I, I everybody I've talked to is ready to get back to full steam ahead. But at the same time. Most of the folks I've talked to also say, you know, we got to look out for our friends and neighbors who could still be susceptible to this thing. And it's a delicate balancing act, Delaney. Yeah, it really is. It also, but we, oh, sorry, go, jump I was right just, in there. <laughs> I was going to say, it's also a delicate balancing act. What the administration is doing to help agriculture, whether or not we're dumping out milk or saving milk, we don't really know. But the Trump administration has about $15.5 billion to help agriculture. And Secretary Purdue announced on Wednesday that to help with not only agriculture and farm people, but also those who have been affected by not being able to afford or have access to food, they are planning to buy milk and meat from U.S. farmers as part of that $15.5 billion effort. I assume that a lot of these milk and food products would go to food banks because as we know, those have been really tested here and uh, pushed to capacity. And so, you know, it's sad that milk producers are dumping out milk. And so the USDA and government are trying to fix that, how quickly that happens and what kind of a product or procedure that looks like. Uh, is yet to be seen, but they specifically want to purchase fluid milk and milk products, other protein products, ham and pork products. And they didn't say anything about beef, but I'd assume they'd probably like to purchase beef products too. Well, I hope so. But Delaney, you know, we talk a lot about commodity agriculture, the stuff that we can trade in the futures markets tends to be our focus here on this podcast. Yes. But when we talk about the impact that agriculture is feeling from this virus, there was a story on Reuters earlier today about lettuce crops and tomatoes in California's Central Valley being disked under because there just isn't the demand. And this is what shocked me. You know, I think lettuce and I think heads of lettuce at the grocery store. And I think, man, people have been going to the grocery store like crazy, but lettuce is so crucial in every restaurant meal. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize this, but uh, according to the Western Growers Association, which is uh, basically the coalition of vegetable growers out West, they said $285 million worth of California produce alone went to restaurants, schools, and hotels before all of those things were shuttered. That's $285 million in California alone that has just seen demand disappear. So these farmers, Reuters interviewed Jack Vesey of Vesey and Company. He's had to lay off uh, between 150 and 200 seasonal workers and destroy his lettuce crop because the buyers are gone. The impact this is going to have on agriculture is going to be felt for quite a long time to come. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think the federal response has been enough to help keep these growers you know, operating in a situation that the, one yeah. might say the federal government has certainly caused. Right. Or yeah. state governments. I guess yeah. the feds haven't done a shelter in place, but the, the right. state governments, government action 
is uh, is kind of what has closed all of these demand sources down, whether or not that's justified. You know, they're kind of on the hook in my mind. I, I would agree with you there. I, I would agree. And so I guess that's interesting, too, because I also have a piece of news talking about H-2A visa workers. But it sounds like we may not need as many of those visa workers if we're just going to disc under these crops. However, that's a good point. I know. However, the Trump administration has given a wider pool of H-2A workers for hire, and they've announced a new temporary final rule that would allow H-2A petitioners concerned about travel restrictions and prohibiting H-2A workers from entering the country to essentially hire workers that are already here and maybe have visas that are running out and need to be sent back, you know, do that touch point period in their home countries and come back. Mm. I think those, those groups of folks are now going to be allowed to stay longer uh, because the administration is assuming that we will need those people to work specifically in the produce arena, but maybe not now after that piece of news, Mike. I, I tell you what, Delaney, I don't appreciate the federal government very much for making common sense decisions, but the idea that, hey, we've already got workers here, let's just extend their visa, that seems really commonsensical. Yeah, maybe too common sense. Yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully those workers can can find work. Hopefully, we can get this produce out of the field and into the mouths of hungry people who need it. Um, I've got uh, a little bit more commodity market news. We did see the wheat market fall again today. Three weeks ago, I was hyped up. The wheat market was hyped up. We had Russia, the former Soviet Union states, all coming out saying, hey, we're going to limit our exports in the name of food security, and that was driving wheat prices higher. Well, this week, as COVID-19 starts to dissipate, of course, it's a long way from over, but the, the initial fear is starting to end. We are seeing these uh, FSU, former Soviet Union countries, and Russia lifting their export bans. Uh, basically, Russia has agreed to ease their export restrictions. Romania entirely lifted its export ban. And we are seeing this have a negative effect on the wheat market. This is one of those things that uh, the market was definitely buying the rumor, and now they are selling the news, Delaney which is something you wrote about in our newsletter. I did. I attempted to write about it. You did. You wrote about it. You put words on paper, and they made sense. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Well, let's see. Delaney, I'll be honest with you. I do not have a whole lot of other news. Uh, <clears throat> do you have any other stories we need to talk about? I have just one other piece here looking at beef demand. Kind of a two-part story, if you will. It's really two different pieces of news, but I'm going to combine it into one quick synopsis here. And that is looking at, of course, the beef industry. Chinese importers purchased 1,500 metric tons of U.S. beef earlier this month and is evidence of the phase one trade deal, according to some fresh data from the USDA. So U.S. Meat Expert Federation said that they are cautiously optimistic that perhaps China will indeed ramp up their U.S. beef imports. However, we then turned around and saw that news kind of defeated by a new estimate put together by the NCBA, looking at the economic losses that we could see due to COVID-19 for the cattle industry. This new study estimates that we will see losses reach $13.6 billion because of COVID-19. Billion with a, with a B. You said billion. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. 
Oh, well, Delaney, you know what? We can't let the news end on that note. I do have a piece of positive news that I think we should get. Oh, it's, it's mixed. It's positive on okay. the face, but the reasons why it's positive might be mixed. We'll get into that in a second. That is, we had the release from the National Oilseed Processors Association, NOPA, announced their soybean crush, and it was a record high. Demand for soybean meal continues to be exceptional. We are seeing that and low prices domestically for soybeans drive that crush to record levels. We continue to crush more beans than we have ever crushed in the past. I believe, uh, fact checkers, double check me and find us on Facebook if I'm wrong. I believe this is the third record high in six months. So we are still finding phenomenal demand out there. But there's a flip side. Part of the reason we might be seeing such strong demand for soybean meal is that it is a protein replacement for dry distillers grains, which are being lost to the market as ethanol plants shut down. So, you know, it's not an entirely positive story, but it should be good news. It does help us draw down our soybean stocks, which if China were to step in and buy in a big way, could maybe be a story that uh, turns this market's attention from the negative to maybe something more bullish. We'll just have to stay tuned. We certainly will. Speaking of staying tuned, let's all stay tuned and listen to Mike go through the markets as well as today's interview. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I'm Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. A conversation about engines cannot go on for too long before the word horsepower is mentioned. As farmers, we are all interested in power, regardless if we're talking about a lawnmower, tractor, pickup truck, or anything else in between. For many of us, the definition of horsepower is elusive, since it has little to do with a horse. The work an engine can perform is measured in torque, and that is mathematically converted to horsepower. The equation was developed by James Watt to sell steam engines to replace horses. Cylinder pressure from the expansion of the flame allows an engine to perform work. How quickly the work is accomplished is horsepower, which is a function of the crankshaft's rotational speed. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit farmmachinerydigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles. Let's do it, Delaney. Taking a look at the markets. We've got, oh, I guess we can call it mixed trade in the corn market. The May was up half a cent at 319 and three quarters. December new crop down one and three quarters to close at 341 even. Soybeans lower across the board. The May was down five and a quarter at five, excuse me, 836 and three quarters. November also down five and a quarter. Closed the day at 854 and a half. In the wheat pit, May Chicago wheat, remember, bearish news out today. Uh, May Chicago was down 10 and a half cents at 529 and three quarters. December down 10 cents even, closed the day at 544 and a half. Looking over at livestock, that midweek bump in cattle continues today. April live cattle up 77 and a half cents at 9550. The June contract up $1.65 to close at 8647 and a half. In feeder cattle, that April contract was up $2.45, finishing the day at 118.25. May feeders up $2.90, closing at 118.47.50. Hogs, no such luck. The redness has returned to the screen there. May hogs down $2.12.5 at 37.32.5. The June down $1.45, closing the day at 43.17.5. Looking at the dairy market, 
Gosh, Jerry needs to catch a break, and they didn't today. The April contract down a stunning 29 cents on the day, closed at 13.40, and the May down 21 cents back in that $10 range, closing the day at 10.97. Folks, get out there, drink your milk, eat your cheese, order a pizza, do what you can to support the dairy industry. Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's interview? Well, Mike, we are chatting today. This has been a conversation that's been, quote, in the can for a while now, but we felt COVID-19 was a little more important to talk about. And that is with Archie Griffin, a previous Nuffield scholar. Well, last week we focused on Nuffield International at a big picture level. Today we're talking to a farmer who has went through the Scholar program, and that's Archie Griffin, a farmer from North Carolina. Archie, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So, Archie, before we talk about the Nuffield Scholar program that you're in the process of wrapping up, tell us about your farming operation, your involvement in agriculture there in North Carolina. Well, uh, in short, our farming operation is um, comprised of my father, my mother, and myself. Um, we farm a little over 2,000 acres here in eastern North Carolina in Little Washington. Um, and our main commodities are tobacco, corn, wheat, soybeans, and uh, sweet corn. And, uh, yeah, we it's a family-run operation, and... Um, it's a, I guess we're a second or I guess third generation family farm. That is fascinating. As we learned about last week from Jody, the Nuffield program allows growers like yourself to get out, see the world, bring back some tools and some ideas that can help improve your operation. Fill us in. Where did you travel to? What did you decide to focus on during your Nuffield scholarship? Well, uh, so yes, it, the Nuffield scholarship it really does branch you out and, and put you outside of your comfort zone and in places that you've never seen or, or visited before. Uh, so places I visited were um, Australia, uh, Zimbabwe, Zambia, um, Ireland. There's honestly, there's, I think it was a total of 15 or 16 different countries. And the mentality that you, you get uh, when you travel to all these different countries and you see these different things you know, certain prices might not be able to come back and you might not be able to apply them directly to your operation, but it forces you to think outside of the box and it gives you a mentality and a, and a thought process that is completely different than what anybody else is, is exposed to um, just in North Carolina or, or in, in the U.S., um, your peer group. So it, it really does open up your mind and it's, uh, it's life-changing. And so, Archie, as you were traveling around to these different 15, 16, however many different countries, tell us about the research that you were doing or the agricultural systems that you were studying there. So originally I started out looking at technology um, and I was looking at uh, precision agriculture, um, you know, precision planning, how people were using uh, their uh, yield maps or their soil test and and really trying to optimize uh, their their resources. As time progressed and, and along throughout my uh, my journey, I guess my Nuffield journey, my focus began to change a little bit and get a little bit more broadened. And it was more about 
uh, how farmers were taking all of their um, their tools that were available and becoming more efficient and, and finding a way to really hone in on their farm and uh, during during difficult times, during the times when you know your commodity prices are low, or um, you know fuel prices are high, it's uh, that 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 margin, that profit margin is really small. And that and I wanted to hone in on what farmers were doing and different practices that farmers were utilizing to to really uh, stay on top and and be the be at the forefront. So, Arch, you mentioned not every practice is going to be applicable to a 2,000-acre grower in North Carolina, but what did you learn? What were one or two takeaways that you brought back that you're looking forward to implementing or have started to implement on your operation? Well, for uh, for, for starters, I guess the the main thing that I took, took away was uh, I needed to adopt more of a, uh, a mindset that was a circular economy, so to say. Um, and really cut down on our light items, uh, our budget light items. So if, if we had animals on our on our uh, farm, use the the manure in place of fertilizer. Um, you know, really, really, I guess make our farming uh, enterprise a circular uh, economy where nothing is wasted, everything's reused. Um, it's recycling, I guess. And, it's that along with uh, adoption, adoption of technology, and uh, a, a technology was a huge, huge, uh, I guess, point was because that's how you get more efficient in today's society, by taking advantage of the new and improved technology. And as you look at technology in other countries, I think that's always fascinating to compare the U.S. versus where other countries are with using technology or implementing technology. How did you feel like the U.S. stacks up to some of the countries that you visited? Are we ahead of our times? Are we right on pace with a lot of other countries? Or are we potentially behind where other countries are as far as application of technology goes? Uh, overall, I'd say that we we are behind in certain things. It's not because we don't have the capability to do so it's just because we we don't put the i guess the that's not at our uh our main objective is to become more efficient i guess uh our our main objective farming wise in 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 the u.s seems it seems and appears to be uh increasing yields and increasing margins um and that's where a lot of the european a lot of the countries that I visited, more people were focused on the underlining things, you know, the soil health, um, the the technology that would improve not only their soil health, but uh, contribute back to their soil water table uh, or their water tables um, to en- ensure that water was there for generations. So it was more of a conservation um, focus than whereas ours is more of a profit focus. Um, but we we definitely have all the, the capabilities. It's just we have to change our mindset a bit. 
yeah, we have to change our mindset. That's one of the cool things about getting out and seeing producers either from other aspects of the other regions of the country or globe. Archie, what was one or two of the things that were most surprising to you as you traveled around the world visiting these farmers? What really left out at you is either a, a big change or at least a big change from what you were expecting. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I'd say the biggest change that, that jumped out to me was when I first came into this program and I, and I remember specifically remember it like it was yesterday, I was in the Netherlands and, uh, and I just, I had just gotten there. I didn't know what this program really was. I was just along for the ride. I mean, I, I researched it a little bit and I said, you know, this is going to be really cool, but it was, it was more the people that were from all walks of life, from, from different areas of the world, uh, different corners of the world. And, and it was, we were all alike. I mean, we could all share these same conversations. Um, everything that I, you know, I had an idea about farming or something, they could, I could bounce it off of them and I still can, I still keep up, keep up with them. Um, but I guess it was the fact that no matter what country we're from, or where we're from in the world, we all share the same passion about agriculture, and and it's it's in our blood. Um, it's something that you're kind of born into, and uh, it's something that you have a true passion for that not not too many people have. No, it's fascinating. I think that connects us with people, regardless of where we're from. Is just the passion we have for growing and feeding the world. Archie, I have just, you know, one other question for you, and that's looking at the timing. I mean, going to 15, 16, 17 different countries would take up a lot of time. How did you manage to travel extensively while also still being very active in a farming operation? Well, that is uh, that is probably the biggest uh, concern of many farmers and many people that apply for Nuffield. Um, it it is a lot of time, but the time is, it's well worth it. Uh, and the commitment is, it gives back to you tenfold because when you leave your operation and, and you have to rely on the people that you have in place and in charge, uh, it, it, it frees you up and, and you start to realize that, you know, I don't have to be there all the time micromanaging. Um, people can get things done and, and you allow, you empower others there in your operation to take charge. Um, so it's not only a, a personal growth for you, but it's a personal growth, growth for your, your employees or the people that are, that are, um, on your farm. Um, and that was the biggest thing I'd, I'd say that one of the bigger takeaways for me was it allowed our farm to grow in ways that I didn't even foresee. Um, I couldn't even fathom how much our farm was going to grow and, and the trust and the commitment that, that was built and the relationship that was built between myself and our, our employees and, um, and the people on our farm, it was, it's something, I mean, you just have to kind of let the reins go and, and, trust that um, they'll take, up, take care of it and trust that the Lord will take care of it. 
Fantastic. Well, Archie, we really appreciate the chance to get a word in with you and to see how things are changing on your operation thanks to the Nuffield program. Folks, this was Archie Griffin, 2018 Nuffield International Scholar. Archie, thanks again for taking the time. Thank you all for having me on. It's fantastic to see growers and hear about growers getting outside their comfort zone, Delaney, going to new countries, learning new strategies, and bringing those things back home. I mean, really, agriculture does best when we all learn from one another. Absolutely, and we learn from one another on Global Ag Network and the Ag News Daily Podcast all the time. Be sure to check out not only our previous past episodes, but those of other podcasts in our network at globalagnetwork.com slash network. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go, Delaney. <laughs>